listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. I want to welcome everybody to day 131 and 132 of Reading Through the Bible program. You are engaged, if you're listening to this, to the oral tradition, where we are simply talking through the whole story. We find it helpful. And actually, it's, uh, it's how the story was transmitted over thousands of years, thousands mm-hmm. of years. And even to this day, we gather around the preaching of the Word of God. Somehow, God uses our voices as we speak His Word to one another, and it's pretty fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm into it. I'm all in. Day 131. So where are we today, Matt? All right. We are, our Old Testament reading for today is Judges, chapter 12 through 15. Let's wrap up Jephthah. Jephthah. So Jephthah, the son of a prostitute, yes, ends up, uh, you know, knowing the story and defeating uh, the people on the east side of the Jordan. The Ammonites. Ammonites. And then his story isn't finished. A similar thing happens that happened to Gideon, which is yeah. the tribe of Ephraim mm-hmm. says, why didn't you let us in on this victory? And part of it, I realized, is they want some of the booty. They mm-hmm. want some of the spoils of war. They want the glory. And I realized this is the younger son of Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. Who Jacob switched the hands and said, you're my firstborn. Yes. And we may have said this last time with Gideon. So he has this I think Ephraim just, even after 300 years or more now, mm-hmm. um, has this sense of <clears throat> entitlement and pride that we're something special. We have Joseph. We're in the right direct line to Jacob. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the last great leader was Joshua, and he was from Ephraim. Mm. So they got the triple J. And I, th- I even think the tabernacle is in Ephraim right yeah. now. So. so Ephraim feels like we're the center, we're the power source. We got Jacob, mm-hmm. Joseph, and Joshua. So obviously, don't do this without us. Well, Gideon kind of played, played nice mm-hmm. and handled it diplomatically and, and deprecated himself like, oh, you're better. But Jephthah, Jephthah doesn't really know any better. And he's like, which he just challenges them. He's like, what are you guys talking about? I mm-hmm. called you. You didn't help. Right. And then they did the thing that Reuben and everybody Reuben, was scared Gad of. Reuben, and Manasseh. They were scared of 300 years earlier when they said there's going to come a time when you, the people on the west side of the Jordan are going to accuse the people on the east side of not really being God's people. Yes. And so this is what Ephraim does. They basically accuse Jephthah and his people of not being true Israel mm-hmm. and kind of hitting on the uh, you're the son of a prostitute yep. nerve. And then that's when um, Jephthah doesn't really talk too much more. He's like, all right, it's, it's go time. Yeah. And he starts chasing after, like he's going to fight them. Then mm-hmm. blocks off the, their way out through the waterways, like the, uh, the fjords or whatever. He cuts off. And he controls the way for them to get back to their homeland. Yeah, so apparently Ephraim had crossed over, like a military force of Ephraim, right. a large one, had crossed over the Jordan and was like, they like come after the battle's all over. It's and they're like, well, why didn't yeah. you uh, tell us about this? And they're kind of expecting some like tribute, basically. Right. And Jephthah's like, uh, no. It's basically the bully or the, yeah. the, the crook who sees you win a lot of money and mm-hmm. then robs you in the parking lot. Yes, this is exactly what's happening. And so this is what God's people are reduced to. And 
Yeah. So Jephthah is like, uh, I'm not going to take this. Goes and attacks them, defeats them, cuts off their escape routes. And then, I love this, he sets up a, a guards at the, at the f- fords. Yeah, and the says, way out. And says, if anyone tries to cross this ford and, and you're not sure who they are, you, there's a word that they have to pronounce. Shibboleth. Shibboleth. Which means a stream or a flood. Mm-hmm. So say the word Shibboleth, because there was a funny thing about Ephraim and their dialect. They couldn't pronounce the S-H sound. Yeah. So, so they would say Sibboleth. Sibboleth. What's that? Do you mean Shibboleth? Yeah, Sibboleth. Yeah, that's what I said. Wrong. And so basically, if you, they couldn't, so they were lying, saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm not from Ephraim. And so the test was, say the word Shibboleth. Mm-hmm. And if you could say it correctly, you were one of us, and apparently they couldn't. And so Jephthah ends up having anyone who can't say the word Shibboleth killed. Yeah. So 42,000 Ephraimites. 42,000 people later. Yeah. Uh, Jephthah <laughs> rules. He rules and becomes a judge over all Israel for six years. Yeah. And so, like, the Lord's behind him. It, the whole thing reminds me, though, of, like, when, when churches start fighting over carpet color and there becomes huge disputes uh, among mm-hmm. the brothers and sisters, and they just start uh, really assassinating each other's characters for no reason. I mean, this mm-hmm. should never have happened. They shouldn't have never been fighting like this. And unfortunately for Ephraim, they were acting out of pride, and Jephthah has like the backing of the Lord, mm-hmm. which seems crazy, but he does. So he gets six years there. Is there anything else you want to say about good old Jephthah? No. And then... There's some more minor pro, uh, minor judges. Mm-hmm. Ibzan, seven years. Elon, 10 years. Abdon, eight years. And they seem really small, like when you're talking about 40 years. But, you know, we elect a president for four years. Now, doesn't yeah. our presidency seem like a drop in the bucket? Like four yeah. years is nothing. Yeah. So even minor judges got seven, eight, 10 years. Um, so when you add all that up, it's about 25 years after Jephthah does the Shibboleth event. There's like 25 years of, it's just kind of mundane. It's not like good or bad. It's kind of just like Israel is under its own leadership. There's no great victories. There's no great slavery issues. And I think sometimes that's really nice. Yeah. You just have times where there's nothing great, nothing horrible, nothing too great, but uh, you just keep the faith. So we praise God for those those times as well. And I, I do kind of think, though, that things might be kind of slowly degrading oh yeah the, the generational it's just, decay is it's, in full effect now. yeah it's just kind of getting worse and worse and so as we get closer to the end of judges i think we see like even the judges that god is raising up are like not great people. god what god has to work with yeah. because yeah I, and i do think <clears throat> like the living conditions have probably gotten better and better Mm-hmm. while the spiritual conditions have gotten worse and worse. Correct. And I don't know if it always works like that, but I think that's the I uh, or the uh, the rich man. It's very hard for the rich man to get into the kingdom of God mm-hmm. because you start to feel like things are under control yes. and all your needs are met and you don't need God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's always the issue. So Israel is definitely in a place where they their instinct is not to go to God. And so the kind of leaders, and even, even insinuating the priests... And the Levite, like the, uh, well, the priests and Levites have not been referenced right. this entire time, and we'll finally get a reference of them in the very last couple chapters of yeah, this book. Where have they been? And Where's their influence? There's no influence, which I think is like purposeful, right? 
to just go like how far the spiritual decay is, is no one is going to the Levites, no one's going to the priests. Because remember, I Moses mean, the, and Aaron, that's like part of the, it's like the judge should be in tandem mm-hmm. with the priest. Yes. And then like even thinking about the town of Shechem, which was supposed to be like a Levite village and a, right. a, a, a what's the... A refuge. Yeah, a city, city of refuge. And the last story we had of it was Abimelech, and they were supporting a a murderer who killed his brothers, and which is supposed to be a place that's supposed to harbor people who haven't killed, who had killed. uh, Everything's getting reversed. Yeah, everything's getting and then raised to the ground. Like then he burns it all down and salts it. So like that's the city of refuge. That's like the Levites supposed to be stronghold. And that was the last time we heard of that. Oh, so, man. like, things are not great. Things aren't great. And that's when it, it's, like, the stage is set for one of our more famous judges. Mm-hmm. And this is the one everybody knows. This might be the, the first. I mean, Gideon you may have heard of, but that's not even as common as Samson. Samson. Samson comes on the scene the way all great saviors come on the scene. I mean, he is in the line of Isaac. And Samuel. And Samuel. And John the and Baptist. And John the Baptist. And even... And Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So like, and what we mean by that is if you read the story, you re- it's the classic, um, an angel comes to a couple who can't have a baby, promises a baby, mm-hmm. and then has a baby. Yeah. And, that this, and then promises, the angel promises that this will be a savior to his people. I mean, you got Isaac, the promise, coming to Sarah and Abraham. You got, like we said, Samuel. Who did... Uh, Hannah. Right, mm-hmm. and then you got John the Baptist, Elizabeth. But these are all great stories. But then, as you read the story, it, it's just not as it's not as nice and clean as Isaac or Samuel or John the Baptist at all. It's like this is we are at the lowest point. Right yeah. Now. Also, if this is the savior, we are at the lowest point. It does set up too. It's so with Samuel and John the Baptist as right. well. Uh, Samson, those three guys are the only three that are written about that have been dedicated to at birth as like a Nazarite. So the Nazarite vow was something we read in back in like Leviticus. Yeah. And it was like a special dedication. It was like a promise that you made to God and it was just for a small period of time. But uh, Samson, Samuel and John the Baptist were all dedicated from birth and were supposed to be in the Nazarite vow their entire life. Set apart. Mm-hmm. For the salvation of Israel. Yes. So, okay, so the difference, though, with, with Samson is his mom and dad, uh, I don't know what her name is. The dad's name is, uh, what is it, Mano- uh, Manoah. Manoah, yep. Well, the angel shows up to the mom. Mm-hmm. She then tells the dad about it. The dad, though, isn't is kind of, like, reluctant. Yeah. And is saying, okay, ask. let's see if we can meet this angel again. I want to mm-hmm. know what to do with this child. The angel shows up. It appears as... He's still thinking it's kind of just a man who's got a prophecy or something. Yes. And so he's not really believing. He wants to... But he wants to make him a meal in a manipulative way, it Mm -hmm. sounds like. And then because he asked for the angel's name. And so the angel says, I'm not going to eat your food. And I'm not going to tell you your name. Turn that into a burnt offering. Mm -hmm. So the meal then... And we saw this with Gideon. Gideon brings a meal out, turns into a burnt offering. So like, yeah, at the beginning of the story of the Bible... Abraham and I, like, they know to bring burnt offerings. Yes. Now we're at a point where people don't... That's they have to not, be instructed. They have to be instructed, like, you so need the to... Levites have not been doing their job. Right, <laughs> Levites haven't been doing their job. No one knows, but they remember, oh, the old burnt offering thing. Like, maybe, mm-hmm. like, how people are like, oh, yeah, I should pray now. Mm-hmm. Oh, we used to do that as a kid, or go to church now. 
so they've forgotten. And so they offer this food up, and it turns into a burnt offering. And the angel goes up in the flame of yeah. this. like, And so the flame is God accepting. It's accepting the offering mm-hmm. and not burning you up. Yes. that's what, So like when you think about an offering, you're going before God, and he receives the offering, consuming it, not consuming you, yes. which is a good thing. Substitute. And so Manoah is like, we've just seen God and lived. Because he mm-hmm. wasn't really sure what was going on here. And the angel was saying things that a doctor might say to a pregnant woman now. Like, eat right, because mm-hmm. of the Nazarite vow. Like, don't drink, eat right to make sure this kid is born, and then we'll put the Nazarite vow on him. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of began with her, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. And so uh, even back then, it's like at least the angels understood, you know, what you put into your body affects the baby. Yep. It's just a funny, it just, when you read it, you're thinking, oh, this is what we tell pregnant women now. Yeah. Um, but obviously this is for a spiritual reason. And then... Um, we get into, is there anything else about really? Well, I do want to note that they're from the tribe of Dan. Yeah. The tribe of Dan has been uh, like dispossessed from their land, their tribal allotment. Yeah. And so now they're living as like little like clans, like dispersed among Israel. And so most uh, of them are up in Naphtali now, but okay. s- but this one particularly is near Jerusalem. Is this like in, in the, the original land of Judah? Near the original allotment? Uh, it's probably below the original allotment. Okay. Um, yeah, the the original allotment was in between, like Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh. It was like yeah, surrounded yeah. by all of them. All right. Um, so. So he's a little bit in the heartland. Yeah, he's in the heartland. Anyways, I just wanted to note that that even, like, like a judge is coming out of this small tribe that has been dispossessed from yeah. the land. Which is and the Holy cool. Spirit, yeah, it's great. He's using, I mean, it just shows us the power of the Holy Spirit to use mm-hmm. small, displaced things and mm-hmm. people. So we all have a shot at being used by the Lord when we surrender ourselves to him. And, and I'm overwhelmed by the idea that God's always saving his rebellious, lost, confused people. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to stop interacting with us. And it's going to require a lot of grace as we, as we see. I mean, as we go into chapter... Um, 15. Well, 14. Or 14, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, we go through 15 today, though, don't we? Yep. Well, Samson now, like the Spirit of the Lord is starting to stir in him. Yes. And uh, Samson, you just, the first meeting with Samson is like he's a spoiled child. Yeah. He's an only child. He's completely spoiled. He's <clears throat> like, he sees a woman, a daughter of the Philistines, and just says, Daddy, give me, I want her. Yeah. And even his dad's like, well, we shouldn't really marry outside of our clan. Like, she's a Philistine. Yeah. And he's just like, Dad? Yeah, I love... There's like... So Samson is kind of famous for his wordplay, which kind of gets lost in our translation. Right. But uh, he... So his dad's like says something along the lines of, it's not right for you to marry her. Right. Or to be aligned with the Philistines. And he says... Well, she's right in my eyes. Yeah. And so he like just turns it on. He's like, well, I think she's right. Well, and it's such a crazy statement too because that will become a phrase where it hasn't said it yet where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's a phrase that when you're talking about it, it, most come, it most often comes up in relationships where you're like, hey, don't date this non-Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know. Hey, don't engage in uh, premarital intimacy and mm-hmm. things like that. It's like, well, we, we all do what, what's right in my eyes. Yes. It's like, I know what's best. 
for me. And, and Samson, and, and really that's a sign of immaturity, mm-hmm. spiritual and even emotional immaturity to not heed the uh, discretion and wisdom of your elders and, and the people that uh, represent you. But it's, so he's super immature. He's doing it, and he's kind of funny. And he's, yeah, <laughs> and he's like forcing his parents into this. Yeah. So they travel down to prepare everything for the wedding. And as they're going, apparently they're traveling separately. Yeah, because they're and, fighting. And a lion attacks Samson, and Samson is so strong that he tears the lion down the middle. And they compare it to a baby, like a baby goat. Yeah. And then in further reading, we have to compare it to like how you tear apart a cooked chicken. Yes. Or even a raw chicken. You yes. just kind of tear apart its legs. Because people were cooking goats, and mm-hmm. they were tearing it apart, but, but small goats. Yes. And so he tears a lion apart, and then... <laughs> 400-pound lion? Yeah. I don't know how heavy they and are. And then, like, hides it off the path. And what's interesting, well, now, is so he's got this Nazarite vow, and, and part of the Nazarite t- vow yeah. is you're not allowed to touch anything dead. Yeah. And so he kills something, and so now he's become unclean, but he doesn't say anything. Yeah, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And so then he goes down. Um, what happened? With, he talks with, with the woman. Everything. He doesn't tell his parents that he kills this on the yeah. way. He goes down and talks to the woman. Yes. And um, and he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Like, yes. everything's right. Then he returns, and he finds that a swarm of bees have made a honeycomb inside the carcass yeah. of the lion. So, so he scoops... Inside, there's honey inside the, co- the the corpse. Yeah. So he scoops into the dead, um, scoops honey out of the dead lion, eat it, eats it, and then apparently has like so much of it in his hand. He gives it to. He gets to where his parents are, and they eat some of it, not knowing that this is completely unclean. Yes. He's completely in violation of his Nazarite vow. And now he's made them unclean. And they're unclean. Yeah. No one knows, but I think that's part of the point of the judges, like. People don't even know, and it's never even really addressed. It's just like showing the state of the people. They're mm-hmm. so unclean, they don't even know it. Yeah. And so even their hero is just like engaging in unclean cleanliness, mm-hmm. and yet the Lord is going to use him. Also, when you're in Nazarite vow, you're supposed to abstain from any physical intimacy. So right. the fact that he's trying to get married is also, yeah. like, breaking the oh, vow. And then he's breaking the vow of marrying outside of yes. the Israelites. Yes. Like, he's it's marrying so the Philistines bad. who are actually aligned with the Canaanites. You're not supposed to do that. And yeah. so, anyway, he goes down there, and they prepare a feast, so he's going to marry this girl. Yeah. But because none of the Israelites <laughs> will go with him into the Philistine land, they're like, th- like, all of his people are saying, whatever community Samson had said, this is wrong, we can't go and even feast with you there. Yeah. Because you're not supposed to be... Even they knew. Even, even the they dark, are like kind of. So like, that's nah. why I think it, this story is so great because if you think Samson's a hero, the way we think of heroes, especially biblical, like we think of yes. morally strong, good character people. Yes. Samson's a perfect example of how conflicted our lives are and how the Spirit can use us, even though we're like struggling in all sorts of ways. He he's purposely not obeying the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't even have his brothers there. So the Philistines are like, we will provide you with 30 companions, including your best man. <laughs> and you'll have a party. Because now you're going to yeah. engage their, their idea of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a party, and he can't even handle that because he's messing around with those guys during, um, during the, the beginning of the feast. And you're drinking, you're eating, and he has a riddle. Yes. 
And it's like, it's like he just made the riddle up. <laughs> well, <laughs> from his own experience, I know. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, we'll find out, and we kind of understand his experience with the lion. Yeah. It was uh, the eater, the lion, had, uh, out of the eater came something to eat, mm-hmm. and then what it was was this honey, something sweet, mm-hmm. right? But no one can figure it out. Oh, and he makes a deal. He says... Uh, yeah. If you so guys, there's 30 of them, There's right? 30 of them. If you guys can figure it out, I'll give you all a new pair of clothes. Mm-hmm. It's very valuable. And then if you, if you can't figure it out in seven days, then you all have to give me 30 pairs of clothes, which is... A kind of a big deal. No one really had changes of clothes. Right. Like, only royalty had a change of clothes. Right. And so, like, they're all freaking out. Like, um, that's going to be a huge economical... But they but they decided to go along with it. Yeah. And so... And also, they're at a party, whatever. There's, yeah. like, double meanings to this riddle. And just the context. Figure it out. Um, and, uh... And so... <laughs> um... Like, they're getting frustrated because they can't figure it out. Right. And it's at day four, and so they um, they start threatening his his soon-to-be wife. Yeah, they're like, his, we're going to burn your house and your dad's, dad's house, house. Yeah, because your husband put us in this situation where we can't figure out the riddle, mm-hmm. and now we're going to be broke. And so she, like, sits at, it, like, at his feet, apparently, and cries in front of him, Telling him, like, why haven't you told me the answer to the riddle? He's like, I didn't tell my parents. Like, why, why should I tell you? Yeah. But he does. And he finally breaks down. This seems to be like his weak point. Is he always, he'll break down at the very end of the last day, right before sun sets and the, like, time is up. And he finally tells her. And she immediately runs off and tells the guys. Her people. Her people. Yeah. And then they come up before the sun sets and tells him the answer to the riddle. And he's super angry with them. He says, <laughs> if you had not plowed with my heifer, you, you would not have found out my riddle. Yeah. So he's basically saying, I guess plow, like a heifer is a, a young cow. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to put that kind of burden to plow yet. Yes. Inexperience. So they basically messed with his wife yeah. and got it out of her. So he's so upset that, um, and again, the confusion here is the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Yeah. So he goes down to some local Philistine area and just kills 30 men in the town, takes their clothes, and then brings it back to these guys and says, um, here's your clothes. Here's your clothes. <laughs> so he's going to pay the debt by killing. Now, let me explain. Here's a connection. We think, why? how does the Spirit of the Lord do this? This is crazy. But remember, the Philistines have been over the people for 20 years. 40. 40. Oh, yeah. This is 40 years mm-hmm. of... of occupying Israel and mm-hmm. being over them. And so the Lord is using Samson to mess with the Philistines, yes. to mess them up. So like on its face value, it seems like Samson's being a jerk. And now if, if he were just in a regular yes. place, he'd be absolutely a jerk and in mm-hmm. trouble. But he's in enemy territory and God's using this crazy character to mess with the Philistines to the point where they're like, what is going on? So he goes back, but the problem with this was it was the last day. Yeah. So Samson leaves at the crucial point, doesn't marry this girl because he's off killing men to, to pay the debt. Yeah. She then, they don't want to humiliate her, so she marries the best man. Yes. Well, that's the tradition because, you know, you just had a seven-day feast and mm-hmm. it culminates, I guess, with the ceremony. 
Samson then comes back a few days later to visit his wife because he thinks we got married. Yeah. And see, there's confusion too because he's not with his own people. Right. Like it was different if you were in Israel and maybe the ceremony was up front. Maybe mm-hmm. their ceremony. Anyway, it's just, again, it's all different. He goes back and the dad was like, no, I thought you hated her. I gave her to the best man. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Why don't you take uh, her, her little sister? And so Samson is so mad. Again, he has anger issues. He takes 300. So he gathers 300 foxes. Yes. I don't know how, but yes. He ties two of them together. Now, the thing I remember hearing is like he basically ties two together and like dips their tails in some kind of um, tar or something so that they become torches. Yes. He lights them. So these foxes run out tethered together with their tails on fire. Yes. Scurrying through all the grain fields and all the fields. And basically you got 150 little fire bombs Mm -hmm. going out, ruining everything. Yes. (laughs) And it destroys all the standing grain and everything. And so... The, the, Samson, uh, the son-in-law of the, the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. Like, it's all because of this. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So he does this, and they, in turn, burn his, um, the girl he was supposed kind to marry. Kind married to. Yeah, yeah so it shows you, dad. like, the Philistines, too, are not joking around. Yeah. No one is joking. It's so brutal. It's the wild, wild west. Yes. And he's like, if this is what uh, you do, I swear I'll be avenged. And then after that, so like you think it's over. He just burned all their grain. They just burned his wife. Now he like rips them apart. Yes. Like he did the lion. He says it struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And so that language is, again, reminiscent of what he did to the lion. So he probably went through and teared a bunch of guys apart. Yeah. He just ripped out their socket from their legs mm-hmm. like like you would a chicken bone. Yep. Like a... Okay, so that's not even it. No. And then he then he goes and hides in some like in some mountain area because he's like, yeah. all right, heat's on. <laughs> I'm gonna go chill out in the mountains. Yeah. So he leaves after that one. Then Judah. So the people go after Philistines are. Remember, they're still in charge. So they go to Judah. They go to Israel, and they're like, we're gonna wipe out a bunch of you. And they're like, why, 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 why? And they're like. Because Samson is come against us, he represents you. And they're like, no. So then Judah sends 3,000 men Mm -hmm. to say, look, we're with you, Philistine. The Philistines, we're with you. They go, they're like, Samson, come out. Samson says, look, I don't want you guys to kill me. Like, are you guys going to attack me? Promise that you won't attack me. And then they're like, no, we won't attack you. We'll just bind you up and deliver you to the Philistines. We have to. And Samson agrees to that. It's like, okay. So they tie him up with two new ropes and then as they meet the Philistines, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. So like it melts, the bonds melt off his hands. And then he finds a jawbone of a donkey and just proceeds to wipe out, strike a thousand men. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. yeah so, uh, you know, <laughs> and then he's like, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men, which is like the perfect number. You know, yeah. I mean, he's, he's exhausted and he's thirsty. He's just had the workout of his life. And uh, God provides, m- miraculously provides water. Yeah, he actually cries out to God and says, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So then God, like, 
cracks open the earth beneath his feet and provides a fountain of water. Yeah, and so then it ends, chapter uh, 15, and he, that is Samson, judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So he somehow, this guy somehow judges and kind of is over Israel. Now, it doesn't say they had rested from their enemy. You know, the enemies mm-hmm. are still over them, Yeah. but he oversaw Israel and kind of protected them while being occupied yeah. by the Philistines yeah. for 20 years Yes. after this. Yes. So, you know, when we read the story, again, you have to look at the ridiculous commitment of God to his people at the depths of their sin and silliness, and he finds a guy like Samson who, uh, at the end of the day, Samson at least understands that we're not supposed to... Uh, care about the philistines <laughs> yeah that's like it's amazing so like what i'm every time i read this one i am amazed at the graciousness of god right and so it seemed like god it seems to insinuate that his strength is tied to the nazarite vow but he's broken it in so many ways already yeah it's not it's tied to god's spirit, spirit. and god is just graciously giving it to him and so he it's it's fascinating uh, we'll deal with it more in the next episode. Yeah, but, but this guy too. Remember, Samson's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. I know. Like we remember the great faith of Samson, which his faith was simply at the end of the day, I'm an Israelite. I trust God. That's it. <laughs> like remember me in paradise today, and Jesus says, "I will remember you." Good job. I know. That's the gospel. Samson is the gospel. Yeah. Thank God. If Samson's there, maybe we have a shot. Our New Testament reading for today is John chapter 6, verse 60 through chapter 7, verse 44. So we have just, last episode, Jesus was saying some pretty intense stuff about how you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. Oh, yes. And by the way. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Jesus says this, he says it four times in like two verses, mm-hmm. being very clear. Later during, um, like, as Christianity is growing and it becomes persecuted, one of the things of Rome, and it was a real um, attack on Christianity, was that they are cannibals. Mm-hmm. That they are... Because uh, of this. Because of this ritual of uh, the Lord's Supper, eating his body and his blood, and because of the words of your Savior who said, eat my flesh, mm-hmm. drink my blood. So, I mean, they have a case there because they're taking the words of Jesus literally and not really listening to what he's saying in his context, and they're not taking him seriously. They're just going, you said it, mm-hmm. and so you're cannibals. You guys are gross. Um that's just that's what will develop out of this, and I think yesterday we we I like the the connection or the day last day's reading the connection of grumbling about oh, yeah. about the manna mm-hmm. and grumbling about the the flesh and of Christ and eating it and drinking it, and so because I think in today's reading it continues right yes like so. it's it's still continuing. In that vein. Yeah, so now it's turning towards his disciples, and this doesn't necessarily, this actually includes uh, the, the larger circle of his disciples, not just yes. the 12. Yes, yes, yes. And so many of his disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, uh, begins to uh, explain. Well, yeah, it's it's the same. It's Jesus is the manna. What mm-hmm. is it? Mm-hmm. It's like we want it, we're thankful for it, but uh, what are you doing? Yes. Yeah, and he explains it. Um, yeah, so he kind of just goes, "Why do, do you take offense at this? He's like, if you were to see me ascend into heaven uh, to where I was before, what would happen then? It's right. the spirit who gives life, and flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And then John kind of puts in a real quick comment of, like, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Yeah, and, I mean, you have to catch, too, that Jesus is saying, we, I'm talking about the bread that feeds your spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, the spirit of God is going, you're going to be funded by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm bringing to you. The flesh is no help at all. Um, not saying that the flesh, he's talking about the bread that you're looking for to feed your body is not what I'm talking about. And then, uh, yeah, they all kind of freak out. He says, do you want to go away as well? Yeah, a lot of them leave. I, I do find it interesting, too, that Jesus kind of says this statement. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Yeah. And so it is kind of a, a recognizing that Jesus is saying a lot of impossible things. Yes. And we can't understand them unless the Holy Spirit or the Father allows us to understand it. He says, did I not choose you, the 12? Yeah. Yeah. And so you, the idea, and we get it from the other books, the other Gospels, is that like 70 disciples leave or so. Mm-hmm. And um, the 12 are standing around going, do you want to go away too, mm-hmm. Peter? And Peter plainly says, uh, you have the words of eternal life. Like another place he says where else will we go mm-hmm. you have the words of eternal life like you're the you are the holy one of god yeah and so he confesses kind of at that moment it's not as clear as uh he will later confess it but he's getting it mm-hmm. and it's like we're in man like you've said some hard stuff but we don't fully understand it but we like you mm-hmm. and that's sometimes that's all it takes well then um after this, they went into Galilee, and Jesus said, I'm not going to go because everybody's... The, the Feast of Booths, right? I'm not yeah, going to go. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're doing their annual Feast of Booths back in Jerusalem. His brothers kind of taunt him, which I've never caught this before, but his brothers <laughs> taunt him, and are like, um, shouldn't you be going to the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem since you want to be a big public figure now? Like, shouldn't yeah. you be doing your ministry in public instead of trying to do it in secrecy? Like... They're thinking like he's trying to run for office or something, right. so they're kind of mocking they're him. They're saying, "Show yourself to the world, man! Come like, on! What? Like, are you are you a big deal or not?" And Jesus is like, "I'm not going to go with you guys. It's not my time." Well, see, they think they know where he's come from. Mm-hmm. Just Joseph and Mary, right? Yeah. And Jesus has just said, "Like you, I'm ascending from heaven. I'm descending from heaven, and I'll be sent." Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know where I'm from. Just like this manna. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're so they're operating purely on we know where you're from. You better build your career. And Jesus says, my time has not come. Your time is always here. The yeah. world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about what it, it, about it that it wor- its works are evil. Yeah. So you go up. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. Mm-hmm. So he sends them. And you see Jesus kind of being wise again mm-hmm. and not telling them everything because they go up and then he goes up privately, quietly later. Like he knows yeah. I can't go with my entourage. So he goes up quietly, 
later, and everyone's looking for him because um, they want to kill him, but people want to hear him and see him too. Like, some think he's great, and some, like, they don't know where he's from. Yeah. They're like, is this it? And they're trying to work it out, and in this section, you have people saying, well, the real Messiah, you won't know where he comes from. Uh, Others are saying, no, he's coming from Bethlehem, from David. And so, anyway, there's all this kind of fear, and no one's really speaking openly He's a good man. No, he's leading people astray. And then in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So like he goes and then he steps out and he says some shocking things at the Feast of Booth. Yeah, so he shows up like in the middle of it. So he misses like probably half of it. Half, like because I think it goes on for like seven days. He or goes something. at the, I, I was thinking it was the climax at like at one of the biggest pivotal moments. Yeah, and then he, he just shows up in the temple and starts preaching, which... Not everyone is in the temple at this point because they're all out in these little booths and these tents and like that's right. where the party is. And so he shows up in the temple and just oh, starts yeah. preaching. Yes, that is the middle. And, yeah. th- and he's talking about just teaching by the authority that God's given him. Yes. And then he hits on Moses again, which hits on them. Yeah, and then he's going like, why, do you, why are you trying to kill me? And all of them are like, what? You have a demon in you. No one's trying to kill you. He's like, you kill me, but why do you seek to kill me? Not yet, none of you uh, keep the law. Mm-hmm. You should all, you know, you should all be looking at yourselves. Basically, accuse him of having a demon, and then he goes, "Look, Moses gave you circumcision, and uh, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So, like, one of the big things is you're saying I work on the Sabbath, but you circumcise a person on the Sabbath. That's the work of God. You're cleansing mm-hmm. them, making them whole. So then Jesus says, "Why do you judge me?" When I made a man's whole body well. Yeah. Like you're doing a spiritual body healing through circumcision. I'm doing it too. Yet mine is wrong. Yes. So uh, do not Well, judge. I also read it as you're taking away from a person and I'm Making, restoring yeah, them. Yeah, That's, That was like another flip I saw. Nice. <clears throat> so people are going, is this the Christ? Mm-hmm. And then trying to figure out where he's from. And he's like, he who sent me. It's true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. The reason you don't know where I come from is because you don't know the Father. Right. You didn't know him through Moses, and now you're not hearing him through me. And then they continue to get upset, and they're like, they keep saying, show us signs, and mm-hmm. that's all Jesus has been doing. Um, and they keep trying to arrest him, but no one is willing to actually make the first move. Right. They want to arrest him, but everyone's, like the crowd is too divided. And again, I think it's also God's just amazing timing. He's like, yeah. it's just not his time. So they can't, even though they want to, they just yeah. can't it's work that, up the courage to do it. It's that theme where Jesus is giving his life. Mm-hmm. He's not being uh, conquered by anybody. And that's why he says, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You mm-hmm. will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then they're trying to figure that out literally. Like, what, oh, is he going to go hide out with the in the dispersion of the Greeks? Is he going to... What's, what does he mean? Mm-hmm. You will seek me and not find me. They're like making fun of him. And then it's the last day of the feast Yes, that he just comes out and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, he stands up and says, I am the living water. In the desert, I am mm-hmm. the living stream the unending stream of the Holy Spirit will come out of my heart. And we know from his crucifixion, his heart does, uh, they puncture it and water spills out. Yeah, from the side, water and blood. 
I mean, he said this about the Spirit. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit uh, that had not been given yet. And of course, no one understands. Yeah, um, some people are saying this is really the prophet. This is the Christ. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them are going, uh, Christ can't come from Galilee. Like, he either just shows up, like from straight from heaven, or from Bethlehem, at least. If he's going to come from somewhere, he's going to come from Bethlehem. Right. And uh, so they want to arrest him, but no one can. And uh, So I feel like amazing. at the end of it, it's, uh, it's the question for us still is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that I am? And I know for me, I'm like, man, you are the bread of life. You are the living waters. You are the Christ, the one mm-hmm. who's come to announce peace between <clears throat> God and man. You paid for it. You secured it. And now you promised to come back for us. And so we praise God. So today we are going to read Psalm chapter 59, uh, verses 9 through 17. O oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God and his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down. O oh Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.